This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 6th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride discusses Shandoka parking lot development. In Placerville, pollinators prepare for winter. Echo song for Sherpa Anuprai and a mountain weather forecast. The energy, vitality, parking, and housing in southwest Telluride may soon look substantially different. The town of Telluride is continuing its discussion to turn the Shandoka parking lot, also known as Lot L, into a mixed-use space of parking, housing, transit, and transit-based commercial space. It's 960 cars, just like uh, we'd, we'd hoped. It's a four-level parking structure. Um, it's 29 to potentially 43 residential units. Uh, we're showing 3,200 square feet of transitory and commercial use on the ground floor. Um, we're absolutely showing a, a local regional transit hub in the plan. That's Randy Rhodes, Director of Affordable Housing for Cushing Teller, the design team working with the town of Telluride on the project. We've got some uh, specific thoughts about how to enhance the bike parking and trash and recycling. And we've got some public restrooms because we started, as we talked about things, about a thousand cars parking, people coming and going. Probably a good idea to have some public restrooms easily accessible there. Rhodes and other members of the design team met with the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee this week to discuss their current concept plan for the lot. While an increase in parking and affordable housing units are a key piece of discussion, much of the conversation this week focused on circulation and driving patterns in the area. Rhodes notes they're envisioning a crosswalk between the parking garage and the opposite side of Mahoney. Our thought is that the pedestrians now are, be, are going to be able to move across Mahoney uh, from the parking without having to cross the traffic that's coming into the par- in and out of the parking garage. We think that's a major positive circulation step. You see right there uh, at that crosswalk, there's also uh, there's stairs, there's elevators, and there's some bathrooms. That's where we've got kind of in this central hub. And then right below that, that's where this transit-oriented use can, can live. And so we think that all those things being right at that location make a lot of sense and that opportunity for getting the pedestrians in a safe way across Mahoney that lines up exactly with that uh, with that entry structure uh, right right there at Cimarron where there's a large sidewalk that heads back to the ski area all those things are lining up very very nicely in this concept. There's also a bus turnaround on the southeast corner of the lot across from Double Diamond and at a place. The point here is that This transit hub now actually is sized appropriately for safe turning movements for all the buses. Um, We see this as a a great opportunity to kind of bring everyone together, kind of in the center, in the heart of the neighborhood, to get on and off buses and kind of equidistance walking kind of for everybody. And it's it seems like to us also it's a it's a very safe and controllable uh, traffic pattern that people that's predictable. People could understand it. The bus turnaround includes two lanes in and two lanes out, a concern for Councilmember Geneva Shawnette. But in an exchange, Mayor Delaney Young notes that while there may not be a huge number of buses moving through the space now, with a transit center, that could change. It's just a huge area 
that's a lot of cement for driving for buses that are it's not that frequently coming through. Well, I think that's going to change though. Sorry to jump in, but right now the smart bus is dropping people off and picking them up on Colorado Avenue. If this becomes our transit hub, this is where people can get off the regional bus and it won't have to go through the center of town anymore, which is troublesome sometimes. And they get on a town bus then to go to wherever they're going. Of course, at this stage, there are no definite answers on whether a bus would or would not change its route through town. And at the same time, Young does have some concern about how housing units directly above the bus turnaround would impact livability when it comes to noise and exhaust. I'm going to just say it. We push people to the edges of town as it is, who are our workforce and the backbone of our community. And we don't want to just keep doing things that, like, let's learn from our mistakes, if you will, kind of thing. Road says they'll take those concerns into consideration. We think that with the, you know, the windows, which would be kind of along the face, the Mahoney face and the Black Bear face, we think that that uh, that exhaust issues would be would be limited. But it's something we would need to study and look at in terms of the acoustics. In addition to circulation and traffic, Rhodes and his team also maintain an area of open space on the west side that could be used as a playground, childcare, or improved access to the river. There's a potential for solar on the roof and art and gardens on the top level. The conceptual plan is still just a draft. The housing subcommittee aims to discuss a final concept plan near the end of November, and there is still no definite timeline on when the project will continue to move forward if the town of Telluride decides to move forward with it at all. Back in 2017, San Miguel County tilled the earth and planted a pollinator garden with guidance from the Xerix Society, a nonprofit working on behalf of pollinator health. Today, that garden is still growing strong. KOTO's Gavin McGough visited the Down Valley Park to see how the gardeners and the pollinators are preparing for winter. It's morning in Placerville at the county park, and the sky is a nondescript gray, dull against the vibrant yellow of the willows shedding their leaves along the San Miguel River. In the high peaks, the first snow has already come, bringing to the valley the defining colors of fall, along with short days and slow mornings cloaked in cold mist. The center of the park's open lawn is disrupted by a garden, which, even late in the season, is full of vibrant blossoms. The garden was originally planted six years ago, and park supervisor Rich Hamilton says it's been growing ever since. At that time, it was about 40 to 50 different species of plants, but now we're up to over 75 different species of plants. 95% of them are native. The 5% that are not native, and we're seeing how it goes with with those, Um, but we try to keep it as native as possible. Hamilton explains that what makes his garden unique is it is not directly for county residents and is not even mainly about the plants. Rather, says Hamilton, It's all about the butterflies and the bees and the hummingbirds, though. It's not really a garden for people. It's a garden for the pollinators. Installed by the former county commissioner Art Goodtimes, the garden is an initiative of San Miguel County to support pollinating insects in the region. 
The garden's main caretaker, Jacqueline Hudson, says that maintaining blossoms throughout the growing season is essential for pollinator health. This garden in particular, you know, there's different plants that flower at different times. And I think one of the things that Rich has incorporated into this garden very, very well is the fact that there are very early spring bloomers, there are summer bloomers, and as you can see, there are fall bloomers. And so each species of plant has their own schedule. And so us as humans, we are supposed to work with that schedule in order to promote the pollinator population. Come fall, pollinators are eager to tank up on food reserves for their winter hibernation. Hudson says late into the season, she is surrounded by activity, never gardening alone. Especially on the goldenrod when it's sunny out, you can see at least half a dozen different species of pollinators on the same plant. Late blooming flowers are also essential to migratory insects. Hudson says she and Hamilton have planted milkweed in the hopes of seeing monarchs return to the valley. That's kind of been a dream of mine as a gardener, is I want to see a monarch <coughs> butterfly on this side of the divide in this habitat in San Miguel County. Alongside the insects, the gardeners prepare for winter in their own way. The full process involves laying in mulch, planting seeds which need to overwinter, and harvesting seeds which can be planted next year. Beyond these tasks, Hudson says, she lets nature take care of itself. Basically, let it go. Goldenrod, the bee balm, echinacea, all of these species of plants have seeds that are eaten um, by birds and small mammals during the winter. So I leave all of that standing because birds got to eat too. And then when the snows come, the snows fold the stems over and fold the leaves over the ground. The snow and vegetation become a blanket which cover the earth and its creatures. For anyone wishing to get into the garden in a future season, Hamilton says that every little bit of flowering earth will help to strengthen a county-wide network of pollinating insects. Well, it starts in your backyard and little pockets around your homes. If you can plant native perennials, annuals, and shrubs, even trees are pollinators, you're helping out. But, uh, we have plans for future pollinator projects with San Miguel County. Little pockets like around the bus stop in Placerville, for example, just to uh, give these migratory species like the monarch little jump and skips to get one from one garden to the other. Hudson adds that the insects unique to this region thrive alongside our native plants. And uh, if you want to have a focus on Colorado native, um, then that's really great because the Colorado native plants uh, have evolved with the Colorado native pollinators. And so they inevitably go together like peanut butter and jelly. Information and classes on regional gardening initiatives can be found through the Colorado State Extension, which has offices in Norwood. Online, they can be found at sammiguel.extension.colostate.com. Telluride and the world are still reeling from the collective loss of Hillary Nelson. In the wake of that loss, San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Spindler turns to the written word. And then I also have been thinking really deeply about what it means for us as a small mountain community to be feeling her loss, not just as a like, oh, this was a really influential and, and famous and talented 
multi-talented person, but also as like, oh, that was our neighbor. That was a friend. That was the mother of some kids who went to the school, you know, like um, that there's the very real sense of coming up against holes in our community that Hillary filled that, that are now empty. And then also very deeply thinking a lot about how um, her loss is being discussed, but th- that also there was another loss on Montesquieu the same day that that Hillary passed away um, lower down on the mountain in a different area. An avalanche occurred, and a young guide, um, Sherpa Anuparai, lost his life that day as well. And that I just was thinking so much about how his community um, must be experiencing massive loss as well, his family, his friends, the people that he worked with. Um, and it just wasn't getting talked about at all. And, and also the people who were injured in that avalanche. Um, and how to kind of parse those things that obviously Hillary's loss is massive and will repercuss for a really, really long time. And that we can hold that in our hands and also hold the fact that there's a small mountain community on the other side of the world that's also in pain. This is called Echo Song. It's for the home and loved ones of Sherpa Anup Rai with love from Telluride and the loved ones of Hillary Nelson. Side by side, we stand here at the precipice, calling to the void, but there is not an answer. The peaks have opened up their senseless maw, and even the greatest spirits in the face of stony time are borne away over the mountain, over all of us, there sweeps a storm of stories. What has been colliding with the starkness of what is. Above it all, a shroud, a wishing of the stories that could have come to be. Fairness has no foothold in the face of all this power. Howl with me into the wind. What is the meaning of this? What should have been instead? How can we keep on losing one after another great one? Howl with me until the very mountain shudders from its frosted boulders, quakes until Serac's boulders tumble down. Howl till every last crevasse is gone and every one of us is shattered into slivered stone and silence. Lean into the emptiness together. Now that we are united in our everything and nothing, rise. Let us find our pathway home together, and as the storm settles around us, let us light a fire to warm the ones we love. Tonight, we stir a little tenderness into the stew. Behind us, On the side flanks of our mother mountains, snow again begins to fall. The final alpine flower of the autumn bows its head, succumbs to cold, and drops its final seed to earth. Below the darkness and the gathering snow, the seed is like a pledge to die, to be transfigured, and when the time is right, Oh, someday, when the time is right, to sing of spring again. That was San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Spindler reading Echo Song in honor of Sherpa Anubrai, who passed away in an avalanche in Nepal in September.
The leaves are turning, low clouds are rolling through the canyon, the air is cool and damp. It's the spookiest month of the year, and horror is closing in on us. On Thursday, the Telluride Horror Show announced its 2022 lineup. There will be 18 feature films at this year's festival, nearly 50 short films, and a number of guest authors and special guests. Films include Argentinian feature The Attachment Diaries, following a young woman who goes to a clinic for an abortion. As her pregnancy is already through the fourth month, the doctor refuses. Instead, the doctor proposes to sell the baby to one of her clients and offers to provide shelter in her house until the child is born. Their disturbed personalities will become intertwined in a strange and dangerous relationship. Mind Body Spirit looks at an aspiring yoga influencer who embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother, and a wounded fawn is inspired by surrealist art and Greek mythology, following a museum curator who dips her toe back into the dating pool, only to be targeted by a charming serial killer. The Telluride Horror Show will take place in Telluride, October 14th to 16th. Ridgeway State Park will close its boat ramp for the season at the end of this month. At the same time, the hours for aquatic nuisance species inspections have changed for the remainder of the season. The park will conduct inspections from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. daily until October 31st. Beginning November 1st, the Ridgeway Reservoir will only be open to hand-launched boats. Colorado has the worst rates of car theft in the country. The state's district attorney wants lawmakers to deal with the problem during their upcoming legislative session. There were around 24,000 vehicle thefts in the state over the first half of 2022. The Colorado District Attorney's Council says the decision was unanimous to prioritize changes to the state's auto theft laws. The proposed legislation would make stealing a car a felony, regardless of the vehicle's value. This is one of the specific policies Colorado's district attorneys are choosing to support ahead of next year's legislative session. While June is typically the month for Pride celebrations, Delta Colorado had its first official Pride Festival in late September. As KVNF's Lisa Young reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, organizers hope it will be the first of many more celebrations. I said happy Pride, Delta! The first annual Delta Pride celebration was filled with anticipation, excitement, and raw emotions. You know, this has been my dream, to be able to um, come out in public and, and be me. That's Javier Sines, Delta native and founder of Delta Pride. Sines says he's been asked why the Pride event has been so in the face. The way I feel it, if, if you're not in my space, I'm not in your face. So if you want to come and enjoy, absolutely. We welcome you, we'll educate, we'll love you just like we do everybody else. But this is what it's about. It's about loving your neighbor and, and doing what's right. The one-day event billed unapologetically relevant began with a recognition of the Ute land, a pride march around numerous vendor tents, two drag performances, and tasty food from a Mexican food truck. 
Delta Pride has been around for a while. We're now officially a 5013C nonprofit. We do a lot of work with the youth in the area, suicide prevention, outreach, counseling, that sort of thing. We don't offer it ourselves, but we try to get them into resources where they can find it and get it. That's Melissa Bailey, Delta Pride board member. Bailey says in the past year, Delta Pride has been more active, including a public recognition of the LGBTQ community and a small parade. Both actions drew pushback from some community members. We want our presence here to be known for those who feel like they are not included anywhere. Um, we are fully inclusive, so anyone, whether they just want education, need to feel welcomed or anything like that, they're welcome. The first annual Pride celebration was supported by a number of local businesses and community organizations, including the Learning Council in Paonia. Executive Director Alicia Michelson says it's important for the LGBTQ community to have a bit of fun. Sometimes in this county there's some really heavy issues, especially around LGBTQ community that um, Learning Council has been confronting and I know a lot of individuals as well. And so this is such a great opportunity for people to just get together, enjoy themselves, celebrate the culture and have a great time. With the first annual Delta Pride Festival under their belt, the organization hopes to continue the tradition of celebrating the colorful, creative, and expressive LGBTQ community in Delta County. For KBNF, I'm Lisa Young. Water agencies in California are proposing voluntary cutbacks to the amount they take from the Colorado River. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, those cuts could add up to 9% of their water use. The federal government has been putting pressure on states to conserve more water amid a two-decade mega-drought. Those seven western states have not yet been able to agree on cutbacks. But Southern California water agencies say they have. They've put together a four-year deal to give up some of their supply and help prop up Lake Mead, the nation's largest reservoir. Wade Crowfoot is California's Natural Resources Secretary. We're looking at, you know, moving into another winter and the the lost opportunity of taking action to forestall negative consequences on the system. So we basically said, look, now is the time. The deal will last through 2026 when states in the Colorado River Basin are expected to unveil new guidelines for how to divvy up shrinking water supplies in the face of climate change. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Friday, there's a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies and a high in the mid-50s. Friday night, expect partly cloudy skies with a low around 40 degrees. There is a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Saturday, showers and thunderstorms are likely with partly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is around 50 degrees with a low around 40. This has been the news for Thursday, October 6th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, Kodo listeners. Do you have a child age 8 years old or younger? If so, join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library every other Tuesday for a free parent support group. Upcoming meetings are on October 11th, October 25th, November 8th, and November 22nd. We will meet in the library's magazine room from 11.30 to 12.30. Parenting is hard, and this group is judgment-free and full of empathy. Kids are welcome, and snacks will be provided.
See you at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact the staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.